Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Good morning, church. How are we doing? We're going to start this morning like we do every week with our confession. If you're visiting with us, this is a kind of a two-part thing that makes up part of our liturgy as a church. It's one of the reasons I really love this church, and it's, it's a confession. And the first part comes from 1 John 1.9, where John writes that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to invite you in just a minute to just spend a moment in silence and to go before the Father. This is our opportunity as a congregation, as a church, as a body, and as individuals to say, I need help. Nick just said it. I need you. I cannot do this on my own. I've tried it, and I've realized I can't. I need something outside of myself. For those of us who are walking with Christ, it's a chance to say, Here's, here's the house of my life. Father, what room have I not given you access to? What space in my life have I carved out and kept from you? And I invite you today to invite him in. This is your chance to really think back and to say, Father, these are the things that I, I, I really need help with. These are the things, these are the areas I've messed up in. And the good news is that he's a good and kind and gracious and patient and merciful God. He's a good father, and he wants to hear from you. So let's take a moment and confess together. Father, it is so good to come before you, that you are not wrathful and angry, that you are not keeping a list of our wrongs, that we can come before you and bear our souls. That we can lay it all before you. And the good news is that in Christ, it's all paid for. It's all taken care of. And all we're doing is asking for you to cleanse us so that we can have open relationship and communication with you. We want to hear from you. Restore us, Father. Lift up our spirits. Show us your goodness today. Thank you that you are a kind God, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The second part of what we do is we say our confession, which is that we are badly broken. You are. We are. That is core. That's the truth. So my name is Jason. I'm not Jason Powers. I'm Jason Casey, one of the members of the teaching team, and I'm really excited to be here with you as we look at what it means to bear fruit. I'm going to spend... A good chunk of my time this morning kind of laying the foundation and the context before we get to kindness, which is the topic that Nick unfortunately assigned to me. We'll get to that in a second. I, um, I've shared this with you in the past. I like to walk. It's how I start my day. By 5.30 in the morning, I've got a mug of coffee and I'm out the door. And, I, and I, I walk two laps around our neighborhood. It's a neighborhood here in town. It's an older neighborhood. And it's, it's just so good for me. It's, it may not work for everyone, but for me, it just helps me connect. I'm out in the dark. I get to see the stars or the clouds that have blown in overnight. 
And by the time I'm done, the sun is up, and it's just this beautiful transformation. It reminds me of how small I am and how big our God is. It reminds me to be grateful for neighbors and for the neighborhood I'm in and for all the gifts that he's given me. It helps me look back at the week that I've just completed and reflect on areas that, man, he, he showed up, and it allows me to look forward to the week ahead and just to lay all those things before him, and it's just become a really good practice. So a couple weeks ago when Nick told me about this series about bearing fruit, I noticed something. The person who designed our neighborhood must have loved crepe myrtle trees. I guess all of Texas loves crepe myrtle trees, right? So our house and all the houses on our street have a sidewalk to go out to the street. And we each have, and there's a couple of neighbors right here that know what I'm talking about. There's a crepe myrtle tree on either side of the sidewalk. Now, it's a sore subject in my home because our crepe myrtle trees are dying. No matter what my wife says, ours are dying. She's a green thumb, and she, she just believes in her plants and in her trees so much she doesn't want to admit that they're dying. Ours are dying. These are not mine. Just down the street from ours, um, this is one of our neighbors, and these are their crepe myrtle trees. What do you notice on the left side? Blooms, right? Blossoming. Clearly, something's going good in the life of that tree. This tree is alive, and it's is doing exactly what it was designed to do. But not, what is that, eight feet, 10 feet across, you have another crepe myrtle tree. It's not dead exactly, right? I mean, it's got some sign of life. There are leaves, it's, it's a tree that's alive, but there aren't blossoms on it. And as I was walking, I feel like the Lord just kind of drew my eyes there and I captured this picture. And it got me thinking about just this natural principle that we see in life. Trees are designed to bear fruit. And when a tree doesn't bear fruit, we can clearly say there's something wrong, right? And there may be arborists out here today who can tell me all the specifics. But it's something external or internal. It's getting too much water, not enough water, too much sun. In Texas, too much sun, not enough water. But something's clearly not right if a tree isn't bearing fruit. That's just a natural principle, right? And if a tree isn't bearing fruit, then there's something clearly wrong. Are you with me? Basic principle, not rocket science. Science, but not rocket science. So as I started thinking about this this topic of bearing fruit, all through scripture, there's tons of examples. Uh, If you follow the Bible Project, guys, they did a whole series on it, and it's fascinating, but there's all these examples of trees in scripture. In fact, our whole redemptive story begins with a tree in the garden, ends with a tree in heaven, and we live in the shadow of a tree called Calvary now, right? Like, it's all over the place. It's really cool. But my mind went immediately to Psalm 1, the very first one out of 150. The psalmist chooses that psalm, or they put it in that order, so that we get this image of the life of a person who's rooted in the Father, person who's rooted in the Father, meditates on the Word, listens to the counsel of the wise, that life is described as a tree planted by living water that bears fruit in season. It's a simple but beautiful picture that if you live your life rooted in the Father, you're going to produce fruit. The psalmist then describes the life of the fool, the person who listens to the counsel of the wicked, the person who does not meditate on on the Word, the person who's not rooted in the Father, and his life is described as dying and something that is like chaff that will just blow away. It's destined for destruction. And so Psalm 1, we have this description. Life rooted in the Father will produce fruit. 
A life not rooted in the Father's destined for destruction. Again, all through Scripture. I'm picking one to kind of highlight. We get to the New Testament, and again, it's all over the place. Just a week or two ago, Jason was finishing up the series on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says in Matthew 7 that you'll know a tree by its fruit. Right? It's simple. How do you know if a tree is an orange tree? It has oranges. How do you know if a coconut tree is a coconut tree? That one's easier. It has coconuts. It's, it's common sense. How do you know if someone truly has a faith, is truly rooted in the Father? You're going to see fruit. Go to John 15, one of my favorite passages. Jesus is in the upper room. This is the night he's betrayed. It's his last chance to really share what his heart with his followers. And he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He paints another picture. It's a form of a tree, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. He says, abide in me, stay connected to me, draw resources and nutrients and life from me, and you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Disconnect from me, and you can do nothing. Don't be rooted in me. What does he say? You'll be cut off and thrown into the burn pile. I mean, that's literally what he, like, it's not a, a statement of judgment so much as just, that's just the natural result. So this is the context, right? This is the context that brings us to the, the letter that Paul writes to the Galatians of a tree that is healthy bears fruit. That's the design. Just like a life that is rooted in the Father bears fruit. You got it? Good? Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of churches in Galatia, which is a modern-day Turkey. And, I mean, we could spend, this is like, um, I think Martin Luther's like, Galatians was his thing, right? You can spend a ton of time in here, but I'm going to summarize the first four chapters by saying basically Paul is spanking the Galatians. He's basically saying, guys, what in the world is going on? I was with you. The first 40 verses of this book, of this letter, he uses the word gospel or good news 12 times. He says, I told you over and over and over again, I shared with you the good news that because of what God did in his son Christ, because of what he did, by his death and resurrection and ascension, you have his spirit. You've been set free from that old system, and you were doing so well, but somebody, he says he uses this analogy of a runner. He says, somebody cut you off. Who cut you off and made you lose your momentum and made you lose your direction? You were doing so well, living by the spirit, but now you've gone back to these old ways. There's a lot of meat in there. That's the summary that brings us to Galatians chapter 5, okay? So if you have your Bibles or on your phones, you will open up to, to uh, Galatians 5 in verse 1. All of that leads up to this, where Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's pretty apt for the 4th of July weekend, right? That's not what he's talking about. But he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, that kind of sounds like the whole armor of the spirit there, right? Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Again implies that at one point in time, the Galatians were yoked to sin. We were all yoked to sin. The good news is that we can throw off that yoke and live in freedom. That's what he's saying. Yoke talk here goes to a different passage about a yoke. 
Matthew 11, Jesus is talking to his followers and he says, are you tired? Are you just beat up and tired of trying to live by that old system of law keeping and sacrifices and weird things like circumcision? Like, are you tired of that? He says, come to me and walk with me and take my yoke upon you. He uses the same word. My burden is easy and light. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. So when Paul's with the Galatians, he's, he's sharing with them this new yoke. Like, you're called to be yoked to Christ, not this old yoke of slavery. And so he's recalling, he's saying, don't be yoked again by that old system and by sin, but be yoked to Christ. Okay, so that's really important as we get into the fruit of the Spirit, is being yoked to Christ. Verse 4, he says, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace. I know so many people who say, well, I'm a, I'm a good person, and I'm just doing my best. And, and Jason, Jason talked about this last week or two weeks ago in Matthew 7, that so many people, the, the door is narrow, right? So many people are going to get to the end of their life, stand before an almighty God and a judge, and say, well, we did all these things, we, we did all these miracles, we cast out demons, we did some powerful things. And Jesus says, yeah, but I, I didn't know you. You, you, weren't connect, you weren't connected to me. And so he says, you've got something else coming, but my inheritance is for people who knew me and walked with me, who were yoked with me and connected with me. So those of you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. So separated, it's a word that means separated. And then he goes on further, he says, you have fallen away from grace. You've, you've distanced yourself from the grace that I offer. These are strong, strong words. The book of Hebrews talks about it in terms of like trampling, trampling a gift. Someone giving you a gift and you just, you crush it, you step all over it. Jump to verse 13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. This is our calling. It's part of our design as believers to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Again, a warning, right? That's one of the things that those of us who are recovering legalists, we struggle with. Because the temptation is once someone says, you don't have to do all those things. You're free to live in the spirit. Well, free to do what? Well, he, he answers that question. He says, rather serve one another in love. And this is something that Jason, week after week, continues to remind us of. He says, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. So before there was this system, right, of keeping all these laws and doing all these things to be able to prove our righteousness, when now in Christ all that is fulfilled, the law is fulfilled, and now we just get to live by the Spirit and love Sounds a little too good to be true. He goes on to say in verse 16, so I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the simple nature. He not only sets us free from sin, but he gives us his Spirit to guide us into living the way Jesus lived, to living a redemptive life and living a story that compels other people to come and find out what in the world do you believe and what are you doing because I've never seen anything like that. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I talk to a lot of people, a lot of guys one-on-one -on -one for discipleship or, or um, just to study, and it, there's this constant, constant temptation, constant struggle with our sin nature. 
And he goes on, he says, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. This is Romans 7, if you're familiar with Romans 7. It's this constant battle between what I want and what the spirit that God has given us wants. We all know it. We give into it. It's why we have a time of confession in the beginning. We all give into it. But there's no condemnation for those, who are, for those of us who are in Christ. So it's this ongoing battle, and Paul is, is pleading with him, don't depend on some system of law to be justified because it will not work. Trust Christ. Be yoked to him and keep in step with his spirit. So then he gets to really the, the, the crux of what we're talking about, okay? And those of us who grew up in the church were familiar with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I mean, you could say it like in your sleep, right? We know what the fruit is. And we're tempted to read through it as a list. But I want to encourage you this morning to, to really hear it more as a description. What Paul is about to do is he's going to describe the life of someone who is not rooted in the Father, not yoked to Christ, and not in step with the Spirit. Okay, so he's going to start by describing a tree that is not producing fruit, not producing the kind of fruit they're designed to produce. Okay, so listen as I read Paul's description from Galatians 5. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Okay, what that means is the visible, tangible evidence that this person is not rooted in the Father are obvious. It's like, duh, all right? I mean, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Right out the gate, three that have to do with sexuality. And I, I feel like we have to stop and say a lot of us, I've heard a lot of people say, man, our, just, our world just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and more and more depraved. But if 2,000 years ago, Paul had to start the list with three to describe the sexual nature of those who were not rooted in the Father, it's been around a long, long time, y'all. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry, giving things that are good, value that they shouldn't have or a place in our life they shouldn't have, witchcraft, hatred, discord, not getting along, jealousy. That's a negative way of responding to things that we value when they're threatened. Fits of rage. Um, those of us who drive on I-35, I think, can be... Uh, <laughs> Convicted there around 46, you name it, anywhere these days. Selfish ambition. Any Americans in the audience? Selfish ambition. Dissensions and factions. That's like getting into bunkers and lobbing grenades into the other bunker. Choosing sides. Being really passionate about a stance and not being willing to listen. And remember that there's a person on the other side of the argument. Envy. Envy means not being um, content with who you are or what you have. Drunkenness, taking a gift from God, a glass of wine, and making it more than what it should be, depending on it. Orgies. Love using that word when I preach. <laughs> Orgies and the like. So, and the... <laughs> And the like is, a, is, is, what Paul is saying is this is not an exhaustive list. It's not even a list. It's a description. He's saying that if you're living a life that is not rooted in the Father, yoked to Christ, or in step with his spirit, 
your life's going to look like this. And I'm convinced Paul was most likely using words that the Galatians would have been going, witchcraft, he's talking about uh, uh, Tabitha there, and dissensions, oh, he's talking about Bob there, and then he gets down to, oh, orgies, oh, that was me before, right? Like, I think he was using a description that would really have captured the, the Galatians' attention, right? And so he's saying, this is the visible evidence that you're, you're living a life that's not rooted in the Father. Interesting that he bookmarks it with sexual sin. I, that's interesting. But he goes on to say, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, as a recovering legalist, I read that growing up terrified that I would do one of these things, not the orgy thing, but I'd be terrified that I'd do one of these things and I'd lose my inheritance, right? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is just saying the natural consequence, the natural ending to your story if you're living this kind of life is that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't intended to make us fearful of God. It's just intended to make us want to be with him, right? So I hope, I hope you get that. So Paul goes on, and he now describes the second kind of life, okay, a second kind of tree. And this is the tree that is rooted in the Father, yoked to Christ, in step with the Spirit, okay? And he says, however, the fruit of the Spirit, the visible, tangible evidence that your life is rooted in the Father is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And y'all, if you've been around people like that, you know it's, it's rare. And we're all called to be this way. All called to do this. And again, the temptation is to think we have to go out and do it when the whole point of this is if we're connected to God, he will produce that in us. So kindness, I told you I wasn't excited about it. It's true. Nick asked me, gave me that topic, and I was like, ah, kindness is like saying, be nice. Like, okay, be nice, everybody go home, that's it. But kindness is, there's more to it. So I started asking my wife and my kids and coworkers, um, how would you describe kindness? And everybody struggled. It was really hard to come up with a definition. But I asked my 13-year-old, Geneva, um, how would you define kindness? And she was like, uh, it, well, it's kind of like, see, I don't know, Dad. It's hard to put into words, but it's easy to identify when you see it, right? When you see kindness being lived out, you're like, oh, that's kindness. Well, duh, right? But try to put it into words. It's difficult. So it, it made me go into, into the Greek and really look at what Paul was using. I mean, so you all know that Paul wrote this book in Greek, and the translators in the English Bible had to take that word and find a word in English that kind of captured, as close as possible, this, this Greek word. And the word that, that is used as kindness comes from uh, like a servant background, okay? So it was um, in the first century, masters would call their servant by this name. They'd use it as like a name. So if you're like a Downton Abbey fan like I am, um, it would be like when Lord Grantham calls Carson in with his wine or whatever. Like he, Carson, <clears throat> it was a name he would use to call a servant in. And so it has some servant connotations. So when you, when you hear that word or read that word kindness, it should bring a, a servanthood flavor to it. Okay? It's also the word that Jesus uses to describe his burden in Matthew 11. It's easy. It's useful. Okay? 
So if I'm producing the fruit of the Spirit, if he's producing kindness in me, I'm going to be a servant, and I'm going to be useful. But there's an additional element. As I was reading all the different uses of this word, it's, it's this. When you are kind, you're providing just the right thing at just the right time. When you're kind, you're producing just the right thing at just the right time. Now, that landed with me. That, that landed with me. It's one thing to say we're supposed to go and serve, but to provide just the right thing at just the right time. That makes sense. I'm going to share a couple stories with you. I asked my wife, what, what story comes to mind when, when I ask you, when have you experienced kindness? And she, she went right for the heart. Uh, a few years ago, we were trying to adopt two little girls, sisters from Latvia. And they came over and they stayed with us for a month. And we fell in love with them. And we, we knew it would be hard. We had four kids of our own and trying to run a business and, and involved in ministry. We knew it would be rough, but we felt like this is what God wanted us to do. So we said yes. And we filled out the paperwork. They went back to Latvia. We filled out the paperwork. We paid all the fees. We jumped through all the hoops. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. Meanwhile, we had qualified for a trip to Cabo because of our, our business. And so we, we were uh, in Denver on a layover. We're heading to Cabo for a five-day vacation at a resort there. And we got the phone call from the agency. And the lady on the phone told me uh, that someone in country had adopted the girls. Cases closed. You'll never hear from them again. And I mean, we were cut to the heart. We got on the plane, and I, I, I really don't remember saying anything on the plane. We just sat and we cried for two hours. And we landed in Mexico, not exactly the mood we were hoping for. Get on the shuttle, get to the resort, and get off the shuttle. And this is not an endorsement for drinking, but <laughs> we, we got off the shuttle, and there was someone there with a tray of drinks. Would you like a cold drink, sir? We took four or five steps, and there was someone with a cold washcloth. Would you like a cold washcloth, sir? We walk up the steps into this beautiful open-air lobby that overlooks the ocean, the bay, the sea, whatever. And we were ushered into a five-day retreat away from the world, away from having to answer questions where we could just be angry, where we could just be hurt. We could just grieve together, not have to worry about what to cook. It was just the right thing at just the right time. The kindness of God. God doesn't expect us to bear fruit that is not in line with his character. He doesn't expect us to bear fruit that is not in line with his character. So if he inspired Paul to use a word it means that we provide just what's needed at just the right time. It means that he is kind. And if you've not experienced that, keep trying. Keep waiting, because he is. There's another story that I think illustrates this idea of kindness as providing just what's needed at just the right time. My wife and I were missionaries in Italy for 11 years, and we were leading a team of church planters. So we were on the Adriatic coast, and we were trying to plant a church with a team and year seven was especially hard. It's a hard field. People aren't interested there in, in hearing about the gospel. And 
the church was really, really slow and growing. The financially, the exchange rate was out of whack, and so everybody was struggling financially. We were homesick. It was Thanksgiving week, <clears throat> and we get a letter in the mail, and it's from a member of our largest supporting church in Kentucky. And the letter is essentially a photocopy of the church budget. And this person had circled the amount of money that was given to the local church camp, and in the margin had written 56 baptisms. And then they circled the amount of money given to our ministry in Italy, which was much, much larger than what they were giving to the camp. And in the margin, they wrote zero baptisms. And underneath that, they wrote, how do you justify the existence of your ministry in Italy? And just, and you know, we talk about the enemy having these targeted attacks. I mean, that's what it felt like. I, like, visibly was shaken when I read it. It felt like such an attack on what we were doing. Shared it with the team, and for the whole you know, two, three days, we were just all in the, in the dumps, just like, God, what do, you, what, do you, what do we do with this? Like, are we supposed to leave? Are we supposed to throw in the towel? That same week, that same week, got an email from our forwarding agent. Someone else from the, that same church, her name is Minnie, she came to visit us on a short-term trip. She spent a week with us. She fell in love with the ministry. She got to know the vision. She knew what we were about. And she wrote in this, this letter that our forwarding agent sent to us, I feel like the four men on your team are like my four adopted sons. I just came into an inheritance, and I feel like God is wanting me to share this with you. So I'm including a check for $40,000, and all I, want to, all I want you to do is to think big. <laughs> the right, at the right time, is kindness. That changed the course of our ministry. It changed the course of, of, of so many trajectories in life because one person, Minnie, who is so precious to me, was in step with the Spirit, was rooted in the Father, was yoked to Christ. And when the Spirit said, I want you to write a check and say these things, he didn't dictate it. But when he put it on her heart to do that, she responded with yes. And it was the kindness that God produced in her life. Do you see how they go in tandem? So here's what I want to challenge you with. It's easy to teach a series on the, on the fruit of the Spirit and to think, all right, I gotta, we got to go kill them with kindness. We got to go just do kind to all the people and just we, we burn ourselves out being kind, right? We, we're convicted, like, yes, I need to do this. And we get like 100 steps ahead of the Spirit. And the Spirit's like, yo, I'm back here. Come, come back here because I have some really specific things for you to do. We know from Scripture, it says God prepares Good things in advance for us to do. I believe those are pretty specific in a lot of instances, not all. But I believe the Spirit's saying, hey, this, this is about a relationship. I want you to walk with me. I've got some things prepared for you to do. And so for some of us, that, we, that, that reaction, oh, I got to go do, it's like, no, I need to be. I need to be. And when he reveals what I need to do, I need to do it, Right? Others of us are the opposite. Like, we've, we're so tired and so lazy, and we've just gotten, like, so far behind that when the Spirit's like, hey, I want you to... We're like, what was that? Look, we, don't, we don't hear anything because we're so far behind. So for some of us, it means we really need to catch up, really need to say, man, I've been so distracted. I've been so unrooted. I've yoked myself to things I shouldn't. I really need to catch up. 
It's not, it's not complicated. We're talking about some weird things. If you haven't grown up in a charismatic, experiential church, I didn't. This is kind of, it's a little odd, but we know, you know what we're talking about. When your conscience makes it clear, when you see a need and you feel like he's leading you to respond, it requires courage and trust to say, I'm going to do it, even if it doesn't make sense. So kindness, the, the truth is that each of us uniquely reflect God's glory, right? And he's writing a story in my life that's different than your story. Each of us, all these stories weave in and out. We come together here on Sunday, but they go apart during the week, and we come back together. He's writing a story in your life, and you uniquely reflect. You uniquely reflect a combination of gifts and wounds and redemption that no one else in the room does, no one else in the world does. And so I believe he's preparing specific things, if we'll listen, that will grow our faith and begin to produce all the fruit that were promised in the scripture, that are described in the scripture. Husbands, what does it mean to be kind to your wife? It doesn't mean be nice. Maybe it does. But what it means is provide your wife with just what she needs at just the right time. If this is a marriage conference, I'd probably be more specific. Wives, what does it mean to provide your husband with just what he needs at just the right time? Kids, parents, teachers, students, neighbors, business owners, politicians. Here's my prayer for you to this week and today. Not that you would go out and be kind, but that you be rooted in the Father, yoked to Christ, and so in step with the Spirit that when he says, hey, Go sit down with that guy. Spend five minutes with him and ask him what's going on. Pray for this person. Write a check for $40,000. He may ask you to. I'm just warning you. (laughs) But it's more likely going to be 10 or 100. Whatever you can, whatever he, he knows what you have. He knows what you can give. Someone did and paid off the land, right? That was kindness. But be so in step with the Spirit that when he says, do this, say that, be this, Give this season of your life for this ministry. Give up this so that you can do this. We just, we do it in obedience and begin to produce this fruit. Good news is, took a picture this morning. Weird. Can't see it. I'll show you if you want to see it. That tree from before, blossoms all over it. It cut up. There's hope. Keep in step with the Spirit and let Him produce kindness in you this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that continues to challenge us. I'm so in love with you, and I'm so glad that you continue to reveal different parts of yourself. You continue to teach us and show us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you are a kind God. Thank you for for doing away with all of that system of keeping track and and, and system of sacrifice and all that. Thank you for fulfilling that in Christ so that we can be free now to live by your spirit. Produce fruit in us. Make River City a fruitful, fruitful place that everyone around us would see that you are the source. They would have stories of how they've experienced kindness because of their interactions with us, Father. May that be true of us this week, Father. Thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week 
faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.